0: You are listening to NTC Messina's podcast, where our desire as the family of God is to simply know God, love one another, and make disciples. Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? Awake? A little dreary this morning. It would have been easy to just sleep in. So thankful for you all being here. Those of us, those of you joining online, uh, we're glad you're with us. So um, I'm going to jump into... The message here right off, and uh, how many how many felt Tony did an amazing job last week? I just listened to it yesterday; it was amazing. Um, of course, if you if you know the family situation, it's just just heart wrenching what what God's even doing in the midst of such pain. Um, but just keep them in prayer. I know I don't know if they're even in the room right now, but we just love the Ramsdells, don't we? Um, and the Groblers and their families been such a a long part of our lives. So, you know, that the questions that Tony asked, I'm like, man, I'm going to steal that for a message. It's what will they say? What will you say? What will he say? Because really, these are kind of the questions that should guide a lot of our lives. And, you know, we've been kind of talking about Lent a little bit and We're leading up into Easter and Easter week and what did Jesus accomplish, you know, for us and and this season is meant, Lent is a season that's meant to remind us what God has done but it's also a moment where we're supposed to evaluate our lives and as Christians, as those who follow Jesus, the idea is, do we actually look like Jesus or do we look like maybe something different than Jesus. Are we we associating more with maybe an American church look rather than Jesus? And those can be different. Do we look more like what we think a Christian is supposed to look like, even though Christian was really in a term that meant little Christ, or do we actually look like Jesus? I appreciate the worship this morning. Because really at the end of all of this, Jesus is the center of everything we do. Nothing comes before him. Everything we do should point to him. Even the scriptures is just an arrow sign. This isn't the point of what we do. This is an arrow pointing to who we care most about. And so we use the scriptures to point us to Jesus, but the scriptures are not Jesus. Jesus is Jesus. And what Jesus did... How he acted, what he said, what he looked like when he lived here. This is what we're supposed to be like as Christians, as followers of Christ. Honestly, I like to just say this is what we're supposed to be like as humans. Because, you know, sometimes we talk about Christians or we talk about followers of Christ, and it, and it brings this separation in the world. And there is a separation there's those who are actively trying to follow Jesus, <laughs> and then there's those who aren't actively trying. But yet, Jesus' design for all humanity was to look and be like him. It's why from day one, we were created in his image, or day six. We were created to be like God. We were created to look like him. We were created to act like him. And this season of Lent, even in the tradition of of church history, was always meant to be a reflection moment to say, do we actually look like Christ? Do our lives look like this? And those questions that Tony posed last week, I think those are great questions to say, man, is my life looking like it's supposed to? And especially as we get closer to Easter and remember what Jesus paid for, I love the idea of like, did he pay for how you're living? Or did he pay for you to go to church for 90 minutes? I think that's kind of a cheap payment. He he paid so that your life could be transformed, so that you could have hope in the midst of difficult circumstances, so that you could have joy when the world doesn't make sense around you. He paid that you could have victory in your life beyond what the world can understand, but only what Jesus can provide. This is who Jesus is. And so, you know, we're kind of doing this reflection time leading up to Easter, and I wanted to pose this idea. What does it actually look like? You know, we've been talking about different ideas. What does it look like for our lives to look like Christ and to follow His ways, and what did He say? Well, I'm going to read from a very well-known portion of Scripture, Matthew 5 today. This is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, the beginning of it at least. And for many of us that are Christians, we've heard this taught 10,000 times probably. But I want you to frame it in this way. Jesus is actually giving a picture here at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount of what people are supposed to look like who follow him. He's giving a list, literally, of these are the kinds of people who look like me, who act like me, who are actually being and acting in a way that is representing my Father in heaven. These are the people that you're supposed to be like. And he gives us a list. This is a great thing for us. But what we're going to find in this list is it's not our natural way. It's not our typical way of thinking, especially in Western culture. This is not the way that we typically act by ourselves. And so I want to start in Scripture this morning, but I gave you a few in your notes to start. In Matthew 4.17, so you know, um, I, I spoke in Augensburg. I didn't speak here last week. But in Augensburg, I kind of actually ended with this scripture. And I wanted to start here this morning. And it's verse 417. So I talked a little bit about Jesus' life a few weeks before that, even here of the temptation of Jesus being led in the wilderness. But in verse 17, it says, then, uh, From then on, Jesus began to preach, Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And uh, probably almost a year ago, I preached part of this message here about Repentance about how we frame repentance in a way that makes it feel like an ugly term. Like, repent. But really, repentance, the word is metanoia. It means a change of mind, a change of the way you're thinking. And Jesus, when he says, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near, this is a good invitation. He's saying, change the way you think, Change the way you act, because sin, we know what that means, because I've said that enough times here, right? Missing the mark. Living outside the design of God. That's what it means. It literally just means you missed the mark on on the design for God as a human, or for you as a human. So anytime you do that outside the mark, that's sin. It's not just a list of rules and regulations. It's anything outside our design. So, what Jesus is saying is, change your mindset about the way you're living and missing the mark. And then he says, So I'm going to invite you now. Instead, you've been facing this direction. You've been living in this way. You, your mindset has been faced this way. I want you to turn towards God to learn the way you are supposed to live. And then he invites us into heaven. That's why he's saying, The kingdom of heaven is near. It wasn't like a threat. For some reason, we read this as some sort of threat, don't we? We we, kind of have this turn or burn mindset when we hear this. But really, Jesus is inviting us to change the way we think and act and see the world to turning and seeing the world the way heaven was supposed to be. The way the world was designed to be at the beginning. And so he invites us to turn. This is Jesus' message for the world. There's a new way to live. There's a new way to see The world that he created for us. And we are supposed to be agents that literally bring heaven to this earth. That's what the Our Father prayer is about. If you've been in Christianity in any context, you know this this prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That's our job. To believe that the kingdom of heaven is actually available to us now. But we do have to turn from the kingdom of this world and start pursuing the kingdom of heaven. And then we see Romans 12:2, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world but let God transform you into a new person. How? By changing the way you think. It's the same wording. It's a change of mindset. God wants to begin within our minds. You know your actions will never change if your thoughts don't change first. You have to actually be different up here before you can ever externally be really different. You know the idea of faking till you make it doesn't really work. Anybody ever try it? Because until you have an actual mindset change, faking it doesn't actually have any kind of good long circumstances was this idea Jesus wants to change us he wants to change us into new people by working in our mindsets and when we get to Matthew 5 which is just the very next chapter because Jesus first recorded sermon it's long it's incredible it's full of tons of stuff but he starts with talking about the type of people that we're supposed to be and so we're going to pick up there, and I want to read through them, but we're going to kind of talk as we go through, what does this really mean, okay? So verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 1, one day, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. And here we go, we're going to jump into these. Um, they'll probably have scriptures up behind me, right? Oh, they're awesome. So I'm going to read this out of the New Living. It says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. I like the New Living because many of us have heard this. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. So the first, the first person that Jesus wants to highlight and then it says this, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs, right? He gives this ownership of the kingdom of heaven to people who are poor in spirit. The New Living does a really good job actually explaining what poor in, spirit, poor in spirit is. It says they realize their need for him. You see, the word poor there, it meant dependence. You know, when we hear poor, we just think someone who doesn't have money. And it's close to the understanding here, but it literally means someone who's dependent On someone else. It's dependence. Now in our world, we frown on dependence, don't we? We really do. I'm sure every person in this room at some point has talked down about the assistance our government gives to people. Especially if you have a job. And you come to tax season. And you wonder where your money is. And you immediately begin to blame those who are dependent. And so in our world, dependence is not looked at as a healthy thing. But in the kingdom of heaven, somehow Jesus puts these people first. And this is why, and I'm not saying, listen, we should all be on assistance. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is that in our culture and in our way of thinking, especially Americans, our our thinking is we're going to do it on our own. We're independent. It means we don't want to be dependent on anyone or anything. It's why my father-in-law, who's, I love that, father-in-law, don't be like Mike. It's why we literally say to ourselves or think the last thing I'm going to do is pray. Because we try everything else first, don't we? We try everything in our power to write whatever situation we're living in, whatever difficult thing we're going through, and then when we come to the end of ourselves, we're like, oh yeah, that Jesus guy I say I follow. I should ask him. But yet, Jesus literally puts these people, those who realize their need for him, those who are dependent on him, at the front of the line. I don't believe this order is arbitrary. I think he literally is saying, and, and it's true. I, I'm, you know, listen, this is written a couple thousand years ago. It was true then, it's true now. We as humans want to do it on our own. Yet in the kingdom of heaven, if we want to look like Jesus, there's a dependence where we have to be able to say, I need God. I need him. In fact, it's the first precursor to following Jesus. You're not a good follower if you don't follow You're not a good Christian if you can't realize that you need what Jesus has done for you. It's the first precursor to everything. And and Jesus says this and he moves them to the front of the line. Those who are dependent. Those who are poor in spirit. The kingdom of heaven is theirs. Isn't this something we have to work to overcome? Especially as Westerners. And listen again, I'm not saying be lazy and do nothing. Nothing. not talking about practical life. Jesus gives us hard work mentality. He gives us good ethics. I'm not saying anything like that. But in spirit, right, poor in spirit, it means we have to realize our dependence on God. That even in our successes in life and in our, our, you know, successes in seeing things happen in a work arena or in the marketplace, that comes through an incredible dependence on God. So let's move on. Verse 4, God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Think about this one. What does mourning really look like to you? You know, some of the words, if you look it up, it's just, it means this grieved by loss or injustice. I like the word grieve because. Because there's this thing, we can all understand loss, we can all understand mourning to a degree, but, but when you talk about grieving, you know it's this thing that's almost like set into your heart. When something has gone so wrong, and you don't know how to see beyond it. That's what grieving really looks like. It's a place where something literally has happened that's overwhelmed you, whether it's the loss of a loved one or an injustice done to you or an abuse, and you can't seem to see beyond it. But yet Jesus moves people like this to the front of the line and literally says, we will comfort you. There's something right about grief in our life. I don't think God causes it, but man, does he come, come and live with us in it. I love, like, these are the opposites of how we look at society. I mean, have you ever met someone who's lost someone that's been grieving for 10, 20 years? I have. And sometimes there's a place, like, if it's a new story to me, I have this compassion. If it's an old story, I start to think, when are you going to get over this? Because we're like, we get hard-hearted and we, for, we lose compassion and we lose seeing someone's grief and how it's affected their whole life and how it's shaped them for decades. Yet Jesus says, you're part of the kingdom of God. We'll comfort you. A literal attribute of followers of Christ are those who are okay with grief and mourning. Not letting it control us, but letting Jesus comfort us in the midst of it. Every one of us has lived there. Every one of us has gone through that. Verse 5, God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. Blessed are the meek, is what a lot of you maybe know the scripture in the ESV. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. The new living Says it this way, blessed are those who are humble. I like that, but actually, the meek word in in the Greek there is gentle. Blessed are those who are gentle. I don't fit well in this category. (laughs) Gentle probably isn't how my kids would describe me. Even when we're having fun, I'm rough. I, like, try to see how much pain Isaac can handle. That kid, man, he's got to get into wrestling. He can just handle it. And he never stops. Even after he begs, you know, to get out of a hold or a pin or something, then he just, he comes right back at me. I'm like, I just hurt you. How are you doing this again? Gentle. And we know this, we, we hear this in the, the fruits of the Spirit too as well. There's this gentleness that the kingdom of God, that Jesus literally elevates above other things. And you know, I, I think especially in our culture, gentleness is not looked at as some big attribute. You're not making it in the corporate world if people describe you as Gentle. You're probably not some big successful entrepreneur if people call you gentle. You are definitely not making it in politics if you're called gentle. But yet in the kingdom of God, an attribute when people look at Christians should be, man, that person is gentle. There's a meekness about them. You don't want to know who embodies this? Justice Martin. If you spend any time with Justice, I'm like, you know, I'll punch him for you, Justice. (laughs) That's what I feel like. I'm like, (laughs) I'm not gentle. He's like always so kind about everybody. (laughs) Meekness, gentleness, this is what we're called to look like. Imagine a world. Imagine an America where the highlight of people is actually more on the gentle side. Do you think we'd have as many of the problems as we have? No, because when we look across the aisle with people who disagree with us or vote different than us or think different than us, we wouldn't just immediately reach down for stones to throw at them. We'd be gentle about it. We'd be humble. We would probably try to understand their way a little bit more. Blessed are those who are meek, for they will inherit the earth. I love some of these literally have these like he tells you what the blessing is, right? You know, Sometimes we're like, oh, you're so blessed. What does that even mean? What, you have money, things go easy for you. I'm just saying it because it's a nice thing. But yet when we see this, Jesus actually describes what the blessing can look like. And he says, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. That's a pretty big blessing, I think. This is what we're called to look like. Let's go down to verse 6. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. That's the New Living Translation. The, the ESV says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. I'm actually not sure why the NLT says justice, because the word there talks about right standing not just with God, but also with others. It's this overarching idea that you're in right standing with people. And when it says hunger and thirst, I think we can grasp what he's trying to say. It's, it's a person who literally something is eating at them that they need to be in right standing with others. They need to be in right standing with God. They need to actually live a life that looks right. It says you hunger and thirst for it. We've all been hungry and thirsty at times, haven't we? This one doesn't need a a big description. It's easy for us. But the idea is that we pursue something. When you're hungry, what do you start doing? You start thinking about where you're going to eat. I mean, the minute I go on a trip, you want to know what I do? I start looking along the road. Where's Chipotle? Is there any Chipotles near here? Five guys? Panera bread for some people? Soup never does it for me. It's like a snack. But a burrito that can stand up on its own. We know what hunger feels like and honestly, how much of our life do we just spend thinking about what we're going to eat next? My son never doesn't even finish a meal and he's like, "What's for dinner?" I'm like you're still eating lunch. Give us a minute to breathe. We know what hunger and thirst feels like. But God's saying, literally, people that look like Jesus, people that are going to inherit the kingdom of God, they need to literally hunger and thirst after righteousness, after living in a right way, in a right standing with God, and in a right standing with others. This is what it looks like to be a Christian. Do our lives look that way? Are we pursuing righteousness? Now, righteousness sometimes can get confused with perfection. It is not what it is. I would actually say righteousness first, if you know Jesus, you have it. We believe in something called imputed righteousness. It literally means that Jesus has clothed you in his righteousness. It means that even when you aren't righteous, you are righteous. Even when you make mistakes, God covers them. Even when you miss the mark in sin, God covers it but yet it also teaches us that we should be pursuing that righteousness every day. We should be pursuing what it looks like to be in right standing. Let's move on. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. We should all love this one. (laughs) Blessed are the merciful. You know, I was reading a little bit about just this scripture and trying to understand a little bit more. I mean, I I think most of us know what mercy means, but one of the, the people that were kind of commenting about the scripture says this, compassion plus forgiveness equals mercy. compassion plus forgiveness, that when we actually look on someone in a situation and show mercy, it means that we actually now begin to have compassion for where that person is at in their life, and we now issue forgiveness for a situation. That's what equals mercy. And the reason this one is so important for all of us is because we all need it. Every one of us, we hope that this is how Jesus views us, right? Right? That he looks at our life and he says, man, you keep making that same mistake, but I see beyond your mistake, and I see you, and I see the difficulty of your life, and I even see why you keep making the same dumb mistakes. And Jesus has this compassion on us, and then he's issued us forgiveness through what he did on the cross, and therefore we have mercy in our lives. And as Christians, we're called to redo the same thing for others. I think if we're honest, most of us hold some unforgiveness in our lives towards other people. And forgiveness isn't always about a feeling, right? Often it's a choice. But I love this idea of having compassion because when we have compassion for someone, it means we can see beyond the the initial circumstance or the external circumstance. You know, usually most relationship breakdowns happen when someone loses sight of the other person's heart, or at least that's how we say it. When something happens and someone starts to believe that the other person doesn't care about them in return the way they think they ought to. And this breakdown happens and they miss their heart, but when we have compassion, it means that we can actually see the other person's heart. We can even see their intentions, even if their impact was terrible. This is what merciful means. This is what we're called to look like as Christians. People of mercy. I'm not sure we've represented this very well through our elections. You don't have to like people to show mercy. You don't have to agree with people to be merciful. But sometimes we get so caught up in something we feel is so right or so wrong that we forget that merciful is one of the main things we're supposed to be acting like. I think through all the racism in in 2020 and Black Lives Matter and the, the protests and the riots and the issues, so it was so easy for some of us to kind of judge from a distance, but the reality is if we have compassion, then I might be able to even see beyond some stupid actions that people took in those times and see the damage of their heart and why they might be doing it, and then I can issue forgiveness. I can have mercy. Did that touch too close to home? This is what we're supposed to look like, though. Because when people look at the church, they shouldn't see the way the world acts. They should see the way Jesus acts. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Jesus, show us mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart. I like this one because, and and you see it all throughout Scripture. One of the things I love to teach when we we have momentum and when we've done you know, kind of our gap year program, I start from the beginning and, and I show all the way through Scripture that Christ and that God always looks at our heart more than He looks at our external circumstances. I appreciate this because honestly, so often, our external actions and choices don't actually match our heart. Sometimes we say things we don't mean. Isn't that true? Sometimes things, we, we do things that hurt people that we really don't intend to do. And, and even in relationships, we plead with people to see our intention, but, but sometimes the impact is just too loud. But with Jesus, it says he sees a pure in heart people, that he's looking for people who have a pure in heart attitude. It means that even if your circumstances and your actions aren't great, you got a chance here. (laughs) That's me. Blessed are the pure in heart. When you look this up, some of the description in the word pure in the Greek, it means this, clean and innocent. And when I read that, I would generally say, I don't feel very clean and innocent. Even as a Christian, as your pastor, I don't always feel clean and innocent. Yet when I read this, I know and I look, I look at what I know Jesus has accomplished beyond me on the cross on on Easter Sunday, and I realize that He's made me clean and innocent. And if I receive that, then God can see me in that way. But when the world looks at us, they should say, those people are pure in heart. They should see our heart displayed to the world. Verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. That should challenge us. You know, the the word peacemaker, it isn't just keeping the peace, it's making the peace. And when I say making the peace, the actual better word in the English translation here is reconciler. Someone who actually takes an initiative to make someone reconciled to someone else. Not someone who just keeps the peace, right? Some of us just try to keep the peace. We're like, hey, yeah, we know that there's a problem here, but let's just be nice. And we just try to keep things more like quiet rather than peaceful. But peacemakers actually will deal with the situation and bring reconciliation. We're called to be reconcilers of people. In a world that we live in right now, there's plenty of that work to do. To reconcile people. To bring people back together. Imagine a church when the world looks at it that they see people who think differently and even act differently and have different opinions on things but yet they can be one in heart and they can actually be reconciled together. Imagine a world that sees people who they know have hurt each other and damaged each other, but yet, through the grace of God, somehow God brings them back together. Reconcilers. Is this what the world thinks when they look at the church? They're reconcilers. Verse 10, God blesses those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who are persecuted. You know the word persecuted there? It means pursued and oppressed. Pursued and oppressed. I know a lot of us have thought we're under some persecution in the U.S., you're not. If you live in Ukraine right now, you're persecuted. You're pursued and oppressed. And what's crazy is Jesus literally adds this into a list and then says, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And of course he says why you're pursued and, and, or persecuted. For righteousness' sake. It's the idea that if you try to... I love that this is near the end of the list because he's basically saying, if you try to live in all the ways I just described you might get a little pursued and oppressed. People might actually challenge you and and persecute you, but if you're doing it for those reasons, the kingdom of heaven is yours. Now listen, we can get persecuted for all sorts of reasons. We can get persecuted for standing up for our rights as Americans. I'm not sure that gets you into the kingdom of heaven. You can be persecuted for for other things. But I'm telling you, when we try to live like Jesus tells us to live and then persecution comes, Jesus gives you the ownership of the kingdom of heaven. That should be mind-blowing. If you're persecuted because you're too meek, good. If you're persecuted because you're pursuing righteousness, that's a good thing. (laughs) And I think this is a good challenge for us to make sure that if we are being persecuted, if there's a pursuit and oppression in our lives, it should be for the right reasons. Blessed are those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Verse 11, God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. These aren't pleasant verses, honestly. Mock, persecute, lie, and say all sorts of evil things because you're my followers. There's a place where God literally blesses us if we actually choose to look like Him despite how people respond to that look. Now, what I believe... Is that the more we look like Jesus, the response that Jesus had on this earth is what will happen. And let me explain real quick what that is. Because Jesus is saying this very specifically in this moment on the Sermon on the Mount. This isn't, he isn't just kind of like, oh, this is a good place to start. He's saying this because the next couple scriptures are who he's really challenging you see, often we look at this and we, we think, well, yeah, Jesus is telling the world to be different. No, he's telling the church to be different. You see, because the very next scriptures, let's jump up to verse 13. He goes on to say this, You are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if, it has, if it's lost its flavor? You want to know who he's talking to on the hillside? Jewish people. Those who were following the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but yet he was saying, you've lost your way a little bit. It's why he even starts with saying, repent of your mindset. He's talking to people who already think they're following God. And he's saying, change the way you think and start heading in the way you're supposed to head. And now I'm going to give you a list of what you're supposed to look like as those who follow God. And then he goes on to challenge them and basically say, you're salt who's lost its flavor. And then goes on to say, what good is it? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. You see, he was challenging the people who were already called to represent God in that world. And he was saying, this is what you're supposed to look like, but some of you have lost your saltiness. And saltiness in that case is not how we're saying it. Don't be too salty. You've lost the flavor. You know, salt in that world literally represented something that preserved, something that literally brought life out of something else. You'd add it, right, and it would bring a flavor out of something. And he's saying, don't lose your whole purpose. Because if salt doesn't actually have its flavor, what good is it? And he's saying that to the people of God in this moment. He's challenging their heart and he's saying, listen, what has your life looked like? Does it fit inside this list? Are you going to be the ones who inherit the kingdom of God? Verse 17 He goes on to say, I did not come to abolish the law of Moses. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. And the reason I believe he jumps down into that scripture and says that is because he's trying to tell the same religious people, listen, I'm not trying to throw your rules out. I'm trying to say you forgot the purpose of your rules. The purpose of your rules are so that you look a certain way and you act a certain way and and that you actually, people when they look at you, they see God, not something else. And Jesus comes and he elevates, and he doesn't get rid of the law, but he literally elevates and says the purpose of it was always so that you'd look like me, but yet maybe you've lost your way a little bit. This is the same evaluation we're supposed to take in this season. As Christians, when we lead up to Easter season, we're supposed to look at our lives and, and ask these same questions, "Is this what we look like? Is this how we act? All of us in this room could just easily say, "No. It's okay. Me included. But it's okay for us to actually let the words that Jesus speaks kind of soak into our heart and start to write us just a little bit more. Can we do that this morning? the worship team could come and we're going to end here in just a moment we need to let Jesus right our hearts this morning it's okay for us to let Jesus kind of put his finger on us and challenge us to put his finger on us because at the end of the day you know, the songs we sang this morning it's all about Jesus Jesus at the center of it all it's true we want our lives to look like his And when we stand at the end of all this, at the end of time, and however that looks, the only person we stand before is Jesus. There's nobody else or anything else waiting in line to actually judge us. Jesus is going to look at us and he's going to say, did you act like me? Did you look like me? Did you do what I asked you to do? And I think as followers of Christ, we're We're hopefully going to say, this is what my plan is. I did my best. (laughs) I tried really hard. I absolutely know I failed many times, but man, Jesus, I tried hard to do what you asked me to do. I tried not to get stuck in just religious thinking or religious rules. I tried not to just get stuck in, you know, the mundane of being a Christian or going to church and doing what I'm supposed to. I try not to lose sight of who you were, Jesus. I tried to grab hold of you and be like you and act like you. I think we should have a desperation to do that. Can we stand this morning? You know, I'm gonna pray right now and then Ted's gonna come up and I kind of asked Ted just to give a moment, a time where you could come forward and receive prayer, and he's going to do that. But I just want to pray before I leave, believing that God wants to do something incredible in every one of us in this season, that the church begins to represent him in a way better than we ever have. Can we all, can we all receive that this morning? So, Father, I ask right now that, that you would come in this room, that you would, your Holy Spirit would come and touch every heart in this place, God, every heart online. And God, I pray that you would do a miracle in us. God, that when the world looks at us, that when we look at ourselves, that we could go down this list and at least know we're pursuing to look like this list of people. God, we thank you that you're the only one who makes it possible, that we really can't do it on our own. We can't strive on our own. But God, you do it in us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to NTC Messina's podcast. We hope you join us next week and have a blessed day.